Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you. The Tim Hill Podcasts, ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to have a chat with Jason. So Jason, if you can tell me when and where you were born, if you can describe to me what it was like where you grew up, the schools you went to, and the education that you received. So it's all yours, Jason. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me, Tim. I'm excited to be here. I was born in Culpeper, Virginia in on October 23rd, 1982. Um, wow. So the I was born south. In, yeah, I was born in the, yeah, the, the, just we we're just outside of D.C. Uh, in uh, Virginia. Um, I My father uh, actually passed away. My biological father passed away when I was very young, uh, under one year old. So my mother was was a single mom for a while. Um, and then she met the man, uh, John, who became my my father, who I call my dad, uh, when I was very young. Uh, and we moved to uh, Illinois, outside of Chicago. He's a, a plumber. Uh, and we had a family, there was a family business in Chicago. And it was a booming time in the 80s for high rises and uh, lots and lots of work out here. So they came out here to expand the network. Um, and so I spent my youth, uh, outside of Chicago in the suburbs, um, first in, uh, in Des Plaines, Illinois. And then in around seventh grade, we moved to a place called Naperville, Illinois, which is a, a really nice, uh, you know, middle-class suburb. Um, mm. I had a, a pretty unusual, um, schooling, but I guess I'll break there if you have any questions or, or thoughts. No, let's, let's, uh... Let's have a look at a neighborhood that you, you you grew up in. I mean, yeah. was it the, the sort of what you see on the on the on the films and stuff like that, sort of wide, leafy, um, sort of bungalow type area, or was it a sort of built up with um, tenement buildings and, and stuff yeah. like that? What's, That's a good what question. sort of area was it? So if there's a certain type of suburb that the early Chicago suburbs have where it's a lot of brick and stone homes. Uh, relatively small, not very big homes, um, but but pretty pretty nice neighborhoods. Uh, we lived uh, right near O'Hare Airport, which is one of the biggest airports in the world. Uh, which right outside of that, at the time, was called the Rosemont Horizon, and that was a, a big stadium. I know you guys have like the the O2 Arena or whatever. It was a big stadium for for events, um, and so we would always we could hear the music from our house. That's how close we were. So. Uh, and, and we grew up about maybe two blocks from what was called Lake Opeka. And it was this nice parks department with a, uh, with like a, a path and a, a little like nine hole golf course on one side of it. Uh, and we would have, um, they would have a, a haunted house there on Halloween and they would have, uh, you know, carnivals and stuff set up there a little bit. So it was very much, you know, what I would call, um, a very traditional middle-class American sub suburb, uh, very much. Uh, we had a lot of it's this, this area of Chicago. There's a lot of uh, Polish people there. There's a lot of Italians and Irish people there. Um, and a lot of blue collar folks working in that area. Um, yeah. We lived walking distance from, uh, you know, a trailer park, like a caravan park, I guess would be, you know. Yeah. Uh, and um, so right next to our school, believe it or not, uh, right next to our school was a trailer park where there was, you know, all sorts of nonsense going on over there. And so as a kid, we were very, we would explore the forest. We would be over by the school. We would be getting into trouble over in the trailer park. We would be at the, at the, um, at the lake. Um, but I actually, um, at very young age, uh, was, was a, a pretty tough student to have in class. Uh, I have attention <laughs> deficit disorder, uh, which I have taken to calling spirit of the puppy. And, yeah. um, and so from first grade, um, I was removed from regular classes. Not, I wasn't a violent kid. I wasn't an angry kid. I was a, I just, a, a very just talkative, a disruptive kid, a very disruptive, <laughs> difficult child to have in class. I can't imagine having me as a student when I was a kid. And so they took me out of class and they put me into the one class that was for those types of folks, behavior disorder, uh, kids. And I just, and, and I don't remember it. I was only eight years old. So my mother tells me this story, but I would just come home so sad and deflated having been separated from this group. 
and so my mother fought for me and got me enrolled through the the state enrolled me in this private day school for behavior disorder uh, called Bridgeview Extended Day School. And so I went to a school that was kindergarten through high school. So it was 12, 12, K through 12. Um, and it was 40 students K through 12. And so I was eight years old and there were four classrooms uh, in the bottom of a church where, where they were. Uh, and we would go to school from, you know, year round, no summer break. Um, and uh, yeah, so there was, you know, kids that had been in crimes. There were kids that had been suicide survivors. There, it was a very um, difficult school to be in. But the shining light of that uh, is we had some really patient teachers who really got to know me and cared about me and the other kids too. Uh, and I was able to work at my own pace. Uh, I was definitely the youngest kid in that school for the first few years. Um, you know, I came in in first grade. I stayed there until seventh grade. Um, and so during that time, you know, I learned, you know, they they allowed me to work at my own pace. And as long as I got my work done, I could go read Stephen King books or, you know, you know, read basically was what my, my pastime was. And so, uh, so it'll, it, I guess it taught me, it kind of prepared me to be an entrepreneur because I would do the work that I needed to do at my own pace. Uh, and then it allowed me to pursue my interests. Um, and so I was there for, for a number of years, I saw a number of things and I definitely, um, I think came out different because of that school. Hmm. Did I manage to, to, to channel your, um, your um disruptiveness so we'll take you know give, yeah give, i think give, so give, give you a different look on it a, a different yeah. way of not being quite so disruptive yeah i think so the the problem just became uh and really it wasn't until the military that that was um that that was i wouldn't even go as far as to call it fixed but i would certainly say uh that that was under full-on control um but but no i just um i think what i learned in, in Bridgeview was just, uh, that learning was fun. I, I learned to love learning. And because of that, um, you know, when I did get out of school, so when we moved to my second family home in Naperville, uh, in seventh grade, um, you know, I, I went into regular school. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there were some challenges there. I had never been, um, you know, except for a very short time had not really been in a regular school. I certainly had neighborhood friends, but we were moving to a totally different town. And so it was all brand new people. I was in a brand new school. Um, and it was, um, you know, in hindsight, probably pretty, uh, pretty challenging. And, uh, yeah, I did okay in school though. I, you know, school was somewhat easy for me. I had been working at my own pace. So for certain things like science and math, I was a couple of books ahead. I was a couple yeah. of you know years ahead when we got into school there, and for other things like history, I suppose I was probably right where I should have been. Um, mm. Around that time, though, I also was diagnosed with uh, adolescent epilepsy. So in the middle of the night, I would mm. wake up and have grand mal seizures, um, and so we were dealing with this kind of even before then, uh, probably when I was around ten or eleven, uh, dealing with that as well, um, and so I would wake up and have just enough time where I knew it was coming, where I could alert my parents by banging on the wall. And then I would wake mm-hmm. up in the hospital the next day. And it wasn't, uh, it actually wasn't painful for me. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't very bad for me. I just was, I'm a pretty happy guy. I always have been. Uh, but my mother and my father were just <laughs> beside themselves, you know, so it was probably just horrific for them. I can't imagine uh, having to deal with that as a parent. So um, yeah, that was uh, a part of my young life. I, that, the last time um, that I had anything, you know, related to that, I was probably 12 years old. Um, mm. So yeah, I spent my time in high school, uh, you know, playing sports. Uh, I played football, played baseball. Um, I wrestled uh, in middle school um, mm. and a lot of snowboarding and, uh, and skateboarding as well. So kind of a very active kid. Um, mm. You know, my mother was great about letting me choose the things that I wanted to do as long as I chose something. I, I don't care mm-hmm. what you do, whether you want to learn the piano or go to karate class, you're doing something. Uh, and so she was very good about keeping me active and enrolled in things at all times. And so it was very active young life. So so you play football, you said. Mm-hmm. What position do you play? You're, you're on offense or defense? or? So I was a, an American football player. So I was a defensive end uh, was what I enjoyed the most. And, uh, and I was, so I was, um, 
by the time I was, I was a little young for school. So I graduated when I was 17. And I think normally you graduate when you're 18. And mm -hmm. so when I went to freshman year, which is uh, grade nine, um, I was, I was only 12 years old. Most people were 13 or 14, um, mm -hmm. but I was this size. So I was in seventh grade. I was, I was six foot two um, and I was 200 and you know, 15 pounds or something. Uh, so I was, I was a big boy. Uh, and so, you know, football was, I, I, if I had discipline, I think football would have been much easier for me. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I played defensive mm -hmm. end primarily. And then they also put me on the offensive line. Um, and the thing that I, that I probably did best as a, as a football player was, uh, during kickoff, I was very good at running down the field and tackling special people teams. Yeah, special. I teams. played a bit of American football myself. Oh yeah, um, what did you play? I, I I played for the Milton Keynes Pioneers, hmm. and I, I was either a defensive end or outside linebacker. Yeah, um, I was also yeah. on special teams, so yeah. on kickoff. I yeah, kickoff. I mean, sprint down there and stuff somebody. <laughs> yeah, I, that's so much fun, isn't it? I was the outside yeah. guy, and I would just smash through people. I was. Uh, I was definitely a, a, a weapon at, when I was that age. Uh, I see you played a little bit of rugby too there. I do. Uh, I, I, yeah. I have done in my past. I mean, I played an awful lot of rugby. I played for oh, a lot yeah. of teams over the years. Played from school until um, I was 56 when I played the last oh, game. that's amazing. Yeah, I love I, that sport. I, I only played the one year, but I just love that sport. Well, I, I, I was a scrum half, so <laughs> quite gobby with it. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful, man. Uh but, um, yeah, yes. I, I had a lot of fun playing rugby. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, snowboarding, is, is, is that because you couldn't ski? No, uh, it was the cool <laughs> thing to do when I was that age. You know, it was, uh, I think uh, we, you know, I there's always been a little bit of counterculture kind of punk in me. Uh, yeah. when I was a kid. And so, you know, I wanted to do it my own way. And so, you know, me and my, my friends, when we were in, you know, seventh grade or whatever, um, we're tooling around town on BMX bikes and on, uh, skateboards. And so the natural thing when the snow comes in Chicago is, is to move on to a snowboard instead of skis. Uh, uh -huh. and so, so we did. Um, and I loved it. I, you know, it's funny, one of the very first reasons, so looking back, I didn't know this at the time, but looking back at being an entrepreneur now, um, one of the earliest things that I did was I always would find passions and hobbies, and I would always try to make them into a way to make money. Uh, and I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't think I want to be an entrepreneur. But when I fell in love with snowboarding, I worked at the ski hill. There was a little snowboarding hill in town mm. with like a rope toe, you know. Uh, and yeah. I just worked there so that I could go snowboard all the time and, and practice as much as I could. Um, when I was interested in cars, I worked at the shop. When I was interested in clothing, I worked at the mall. And so I just always had this thing about, um, well, I'm interested in doing this thing. I'd rather do that than, you know, mm. mow lawns. I'd rather do that than, <laughs> thank you, sir. Uh, I'd rather do that than mow lawns or paint houses or something like that. And so I just yeah. always have, have, um, I've had much more energy to pursue those things that are interesting mm. to me than, than not. Well, the cool, cool thing to do nowadays is, is to telemark ski. What's that? Telemark. Oh, that's, what is that's, that? That's free hill skiing. Okay. So you've got a free hill, um, and it's like alpine oh, skiing. Oh, yeah. Um, on, on alpine skis, but but you've got far more comfortable boots, and mm -hmm. you're just attached to the toes, and and, and it's just, just a different turning technique. But it it looks yeah. so so cool, and and yeah. alpine skiers look at it with envy. <laughs> yeah, have you done that? Yeah, yeah, I did it for a lot of years. I even wow. competed at it. So wow, yeah, I was uh, taking part in the British Telemark Championships for about 10, 12 years on the bounce. Um, wow. So, That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I always good. liked, I always liked the tree snowboarding, tree skiing. I liked going through the trees and off, yeah, off, piss. off piss. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. telemark's great for that as well. I bet. I mean, uh, you, you get a great powder day out somewhere like the Grand Monte oh. in uh, Chamonix is something else. So yeah. 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 When I lived in Germany, we would go quite a bit uh, to mm. the Alps. Yeah. Unbelievable skiing there. And also yeah. Colorado here. Um, yeah, yeah I mean, go ahead. some great places to ski in America, that's for sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. Not so much in the Midwest, but we have, we have some stuff, but it's a lot of ice. Yeah. <laughs> Bit like Scotland then. <laughs> Probably. That's, that's like skiing on ice. <laughs> yeah. It's what they don't have enough trees. And so the wind just mm. shears it down Amazing. to ice. Yeah. yeah. So moving on then. So um, high school, um, yeah. you, you managed to get through high school. You graduated at 17. I did. Um, so I graduated at 17 at the time, even during high school, my sport that I had picked up was pool. Uh, I was a billiards player. Um, and so of course, uh, I was going to be a professional pool player. Of course, that's not true, but, and I didn't treat myself like that, but I played pool almost every day. I was playing in tournaments very often, uh, and, um, definitely loved pool. Uh, and so I worked at the pool hall, just like I was mentioning earlier. Um, and that's what I did from, you know, I was going to community college, uh, which was local and playing pool every night, every night until very early in the morning, uh, and gambling and enjoying that very much. And, and just, you know, kind of making ends meet, um, and, and trying to, you know, just be a young, young bull trying to play pool and, and, uh, get good at it. <laughs> And I just never had, I just didn't have the discipline. I, I, you know, I always talk about, you know, for me, my, my podcast and my personal symbol is this spear and clover. And for me as a young man, I was all clover. I was all spirit of the puppy. You know, I was, uh, I had, you know, all the, all the, all the passion in the world and, you know, super fun and, you know, high energy and love to try new things and love to meet new people, you know, but I didn't have that that military mindset, that discipline that made me show up, you know, on time, you know, for everything made me take responsibility, you know, made sure that I kept, you know, up to my responsibilities and took care of my people. Um, And so it wasn't until I joined the army at 21 that, that I really found that. Um, Mm. But during, during that time before that, I did go to um, community college. And then I went away to school for one year, which I did very poorly at. I, I actually enrolled in the <laughs> ROTC program to be an officer in the army. They gave me a scholarship um, and I ended up not committing to that. Um, mm. It was, it was actually kind of a struggle. I went alone uh, to, to college um, and I kind of had one foot back at home. It was about an hour away. I had one foot back at home and one foot at college. And so I never really, um, I never really found my footing there. You know, I just, yeah. uh, Never embraced the whole experience. Uh, no. And I also, um, you know, with the ADD thing, they put me on Adderall and, um, mm-hmm. and I just, I couldn't get my energy right. My nutrition was all off in hindsight, you know, I was falling asleep in classes and in hindsight, I think I just needed, you know, a better, a better routine. I needed to probably eat, be eating better. I needed to have some, some mentorship probably. Um, and I needed some, uh, I, I probably shouldn't have been, you know, I was the, the Adderall relationship that they were putting It's my generation and maybe still, but I think it was really bad for my generation of kids where they were just throwing ADD drugs at kids. Mm. Um, and so because of that, you know, I'm gambling up all night. <laughs> and so the Adderall <laughs> medicine helps for that, but then I'm trying to go to class in the morning and it was just a, it was a nightmare. And so um, I just, I fortunately, you know, my mother and me, uh, both recognized, listen, this is not the direction that my life is supposed to head. This is not, you know, how I want to spend, you know, the rest of my life, you know, yeah. just kind of making ends meet and, you know, being a, a really great friend and a really nice person and very smart, but not really accomplishing much. And so what do you do when you have no discipline and you have no purpose and you're a yeah. boy that's trying to become a man I think you enlist in the United States army or, or the, uh, you know, any army. Uh, and so that's what I did. Um, and so when I turned 21, right after that, uh, I enlisted in the army and I, I went away to basic training pretty quickly right after that. So where did you do your basic training? I did my basic training at Fort Jackson in South Carolina. I think that's Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, it's the biggest, I think at the time was the biggest military base on the planet. Uh, because Tradoc is there, which is the training facility. It's mm-hmm. also a, that was a mixed gender basic training. So I had f- females and males in our, in our uh, group, um, which was incredibly challenging, by the way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, it's funny. I feel like basic training for the first time in my life made me a sexist. And then by the time I left the army, 
I believed like some of the, like, I believe women were some of the strongest people that I ever met. <laughs> it was, it was very interesting experience. It was, uh, you know, in the very beginning, um, I think because the boys were more accustomed to being dealt with roughly and like yelled at and, you know, somebody tells, tells you to stand up straight, you stand up straight. You've probably been punched a few times, you know, uh, and the females were just, the, the females just were not having it in that basic training. And so, uh, but by the end of that, by the end of that process, those folks that, you know, I had thought were, you know, you know, pain in the butt, uh, ended up being unbelievable and, and really, um, you know, picking it up quite well. And they shot, they shot better than most of us. Uh, so certainly, uh, you know, that came full circle. So what trade did you go for? Uh, I guess the basic training just gives you the basics of yeah. um, infantry skills, the, the, the marching about and, and yeah. the basics of being a, a soldier. So yeah. did you specialize at all into a trade? I did. And actually, I had a benefit of when I was in the um, the, the college ROTC program, I got to go do FTX, which is field training exercises. And um, so because of that, I had gone through Mo over the course of time, I had gone through most of what we ended up learning in basic training. So that was a really big advantage. Um, but yes. So one of my pool friends, guy named Parham, great guy, shout out to Parham. Uh, he was a network engineer for, I think, Verizon at the time. And so when I was going to go into the army, I had the book and I was like, what do you think? What do you think I should do? And he did really well. He made a lot of money. And he was like, well, I would do intelligence or I would do telecom. You know, the idea was go into the military for four years and get some some sort of education that I could come back and, and get a really great job when I got back. And so the idea was telecom. And so I became a network switching systems operator or engineer or whatever. Um, and basically as node center operator, I was in charge of phones and internet uh, and basically was sitting in a, a shelter in the back of a Humvee for deployment. Um, and making sure that everybody had phone and internet. Um, ah, a switch yeah. bitch. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> right. And, uh, it was, it was not all I thought it was going to be. Uh, we, um, you know, the, the, the training was rigorous. We learned, we, we learned a, a telecommunications engineering degree, uh, in about four months. Uh, and the way they did that was we went to school from midnight until eight in the morning every night when I was in uh, AIT, which is the advanced uh, training after basic training. Um, and it was just brutal. You're learning the most, the most boring troubleshooting diagrams and it's two in the morning and there's a drill sergeant stalking the room like a Panther. And so if you, you know, if you fall out, you're in a lot of trouble. And so, uh, yeah, you know, that was, um, that was the last time I ever slept in class was going through basic training and then uh, AIT. Uh, I don't know if they did this in your experience, but in basic training, they would purposely do military history for like four hour chunks in certain phases of basic training. And I think the idea was to make it so you wouldn't fall asleep and be derelictive of your duties. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they would, you know, and then in 1908, you know, Colonel such and such took this hill and you're just like, I mean, you're just so tired and you do drill and ceremony for hours on end. And it's just one of those things, I think, where anything in me that was, you know, able to, you know, take my eye off the ball and 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 fall asleep or, or lose my interest, like it just that just was killed, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, eventually to cut ahead, eventually when I went back to college afterwards, it was so easy, Tim, to just do what they told <laughs> me to do, you know. Um, but yeah, so we, I did that, that schooling, it was about six, it was, I was there for about six months, uh, working midnight to eight. Um, and what happened was, uh, so again, I told you I'm about 225 typically right now. I'm probably in the two thirties. Um, I went through basic training. I came out at 208 pounds. I was shredded in, in great shape. <laughs> But the thing you know is that in basic training, they you eat as much as you possibly can because you're yeah. putting out so many calories and the stress is so crazy and your sleep is dysregulated. And so um, I had never in my life, I used to eat a dozen eggs in the morning before football camp. I would drink a gallon of milk. I'd never been overweight, but I went to AIT after basic and I gained 50 pounds in that six months <laughs> because we stopped everything and I just you kept eating. Yeah, I kept eating. They had biscuits and gravy. It was beautiful Southern meals. 
uh, biscuits and gravy and all sorts of, you know, pancakes and eggs and all that stuff. Um, and, uh, and also of course, working midnight to eight, I think my circadian rhythm and all my, you know, all my biological stuff was thrown off. And so by the time I graduated, I was probably 265 uh, or so, which is hilarious. I have a photo where I look like a, a pink gorilla holding a banana. It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so coming out of there, my duty station was Germany, uh, which was really exciting. I uh, I'm definitely um, very much the spirit of the puppy in me is very much a pursuer of adventure. And so moving to Germany for two years sounded like an unbelievable adventure. And so I arrived in Germany, in Germany in in Kitzingen where I lived, which is outside of Würzburg in Bavaria. Um, and the day I arrived, my unit is being deployed the next day. And so, uh, I was on a rear detachment um, for about two or three months, just getting to know the unit and getting to know the area and getting checked mm-hmm. in. And then I joined them into crit Iraq pretty much right away after that. Um, so I was, so in you ended up short touring then if you, if you went in so yeah, my fir- but, but they got it from me because they extended my second <laughs> tour. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my first tour was nine months. Uh, we, it was funny. We were in a place called fob danger, uh, which is a forward operating base is called a fob uh, danger, yeah. which was in Tikrit. And I still can pull up this on Google, uh, Google earth. Yeah. Google earth. Yeah. And you can still see, you know, the buildings that we lived in. And so this was a, Tikrit is where Saddam Hussein's birthplace was. He was from there. Yeah. So he had a this big compound uh, full of, uh, it was like seven main palaces, you know, for him and for yeah. his sons and for other people. Um, and it was surrounded by guard walls, but it was in the middle of a, a, a big town. It was in the middle, middle of Tikrit. Mm. Um, and so on one side of our base was the Tigris river uh, yeah. flowing literally right through it with no walls. And so you, we would be on one side of the Tigris river and then it's a very broad body of water. And on the other side of that, you'd see, you know, people with their livestock and people, cleaning out their cars and people bathing their children and stuff. Um, and there was actually a, a highway overpass that went over our base, which was incredibly nerve wracking to have just civilian <laughs> cars, potentially throwing grenades all over the, off of this overpass. Um, and yeah, so we lived there. We were right next to, um, I, I don't know technically how much I should say, but uh, we were right next to some very interesting stuff. There was one of the oldest churches in the world was right on the hillside there and had actually been buried uh, and a mosque had been erected on top of it, which was interesting. Um, We uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting, but that first deployment, it was uh, it was a child's game for us. We just, we didn't do anything. We just sat in this, this, the node center was there. We just sat in it. We didn't do very much hard work at all. It was basically just, again, I was working 12 to eight. Um, and so yeah. we were watching just DVDs. The telephone network running. That's it going. We were working out every single day. We used to give each other cold IVs. We would, we would put IVs in the, in the refrigerator and we'd go work out in 120 degree weather and we'd come home and we'd give each other frozen IVs. <laughs> Uh, to practice life-saving skills. Um, And then, um, so that was the first deployment. I certainly could go further, but that was pretty much the the first deployment. So then Mm. I, as soon as I get back, you know, we, we, this was probably as a young man, this was the year of my life, 2006. um, You know, we were decommissioning this unit in Germany, which is very small already. And so there wasn't a lot of garrison work to be done other than just, categorizing everything and getting it ready to either ship out or move over to decommission or send to another unit. And so I didn't have the, you know, we're not going to the motor pool and taking care of trucks all the time. We're not drilling our job. We're really just, you know, taking care of personal business, which meant getting to go explore Germany and and going on quite a few long weekend trips. Uh, We, we did a tour coming back from Iraq where we went through multiple different uh, countries in, in, in beautiful Europe, including yours. Um, Mm -hmm. we went to, you know, uh, Amsterdam and Belgium and, uh, we went to France, we went to Barcelona. We we were supposed to go to Barcelona for three days and we stayed for 11. Uh, if that tells you (laughs) how I feel about Barcelona. Um, then we went to Greece, uh, and then we came to, to London. We, we spent three days in London, which was, was great. Uh, and we were there for Aussie day, which was, uh, quite an experience. And in those days, believe it or not, Tim, um, I was a good target for a bar fight. 
And uh, <laughs> in England, uh, I have never had more people try to fight me in a bar <laughs> than going to visit beautiful London. Uh, I couldn't make it from one side of the bar to the other without three or four people trying to start a fight with me. And, I was, and, I, and I'm just smiling, having a nice time. Like, there's just something about my face that says it wants to be punched, I guess. I think you've gone to the wrong parts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I'm sure that whatever we, wh- whoever we looked like, people were sending us to those places, I'm mm. sure. Um, so, yeah, so uh, Germany was great. Um, like I said, we did get to do some great travel. We spent some time skiing and snowboarding in the Alps. We have, you know, unbelievable stories and developed great friendships in that unit. Um, excuse me. And uh, so I was there until early 2007. And I moved back to Georgia, to Fort Gordon, where I had done training. That was my next duty station. And again, right away, we're getting ready for deployment. But it's okay, guys. I've been down there. All we do is sit around, right? And so I'm telling everybody's like, no, I heard we're going to be we're going to be working really hard. Now I'm on a cable dog unit. And so you talk about a switch, bitch. Uh, now yeah. I'm a cable dog. There you're so, lining. Yeah, I'm exactly. Alignment. Yes, sir. Lining cables. Yeah. So, we're, we're basically, the idea is we, we pull fiber optic cable and copper. Uh, you can do phone and stuff like that, but our primary job, our primary mission was commercializing a base into crit. Uh, again, it was a big one. It was Fob Spiker. Um, mm-hmm. This was a old air force base that they had outside of where we were previously. And uh, so I'm telling all the young bucks, I'm like, ah, oh, don't worry about it. I've been there before. Yeah. You do a couple of things early and then it's no big deal. So we get down there. And Tim, it was a a slave labor crew. It was a road crew. We were so so to 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 give the folks an idea at home. Um, when you see on the side of the road manholes from you know every hundred and fifty feet or whatever you see them, yeah. um, there's there's pipes that go between them. There's sewers, but there's also telecom. There's also cable, right? And so um, we were running. If we wanted to run let's say a two mile run from one building to another to bring them fiber optic, high speed internet. Um, The way you do that, I don't know how you do it in America, but the way we did that was you would have to fish through every manhole, all of that miles of cable and you'd have to figure eight it. So it didn't get all uh, twisted up and you'd pull it in the manhole in 120 degree weather. (laughs) All those two miles. Well, great. We made it 150 feet. Now we just need to do that. 25, 30 more times or however many. And so it was just grueling backbreaking labor. Um, We were doing 12, 12 hours a day, seven days a week. um, And it was 120 degrees outside. And a lot of times, a lot of times that's in, you know, the, the full, full pants and, and, and coat and all that, you know, we're in Iraq. So you got a helmet on and your vest. Um, And uh, you know, a lot of the time we were digging the holes and actually laying the conduit and putting in the, putting in the, the manholes and stuff. And so this is, this is how I lost that extra 50 pounds, Tim, I guess is the bottom line. <laughs> this is how I got back in shape. This is how I learned how to, how to work hard on a team. I mean, the, the, the big thing I think for me, the big takeaway about my military service, but really that deployment was, you know, what it means to enlist in an idea, what it means to enlist in seeing a job through even if you don't like what you're doing, even if you didn't get to pick who you're doing it with, and even if it's it's just the worst thing. And so, you know, my mother will tell you that I was calling home at this time. We're working 712s, break, back-breaking labor. And I would call her and I'd be like, oh, I'm having the time of my life. We're working hard. We're getting in shape. I'm making great friends. You know, we I got these DVDs for, you can buy DVDs there in the bazaar for a dollar or for 50 cents. <laughs> and so at the day, I quit smoking. Um And so, uh, yeah, we, you know, it's, it really is this thing where, you know, I'm somebody who as an entrepreneur, I do exactly what I want to do. I pick the mission. I pick my teammates. I I create something that didn't exist based on what I want to do. But I think it was so valuable to me to spend time in a situation where I couldn't quit. I didn't get to pick what the mission was. I didn't get to pick the men and women that I was doing it for. And I didn't get to pick the hours or anything. And we just had to get it done. We had to make that happen. And when you're drilling a hole through a cement wall, you know, in Iraq and the drill bit breaks, there isn't another drill bit, you know? And so you just, you got, but we still need that hole. And so I really learned how to solve problems um, and, Mm -hmm. and create things that, that, you know, weren't there before. 
Um, and so when I got out of the military and, and one of my friends from the military joined me in Chicago too, really, but one that we started a business together, um, there were three of us. Um, it just seems so easy to, Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll build a gym. Well, you know, we, we started a company <laughs> after the military and, and, um, uh, it was just, it just seemed like an, like a natural thing to do, you know? Hmm. So that's, that's your military career then. So how, how long did you do in the end? Was I it- did four years and I think four years in a day would have been too much for me, Tim. <laughs> I think four <laughs> years was exactly what I needed. Um, two deployments and- in Iraq. Yep. Two deployments in Iraq. One was nine months. I didn't mention, but the hard one it got extended to 15 months. So I ended up, uh, they ended up getting their time out of me. Um, yeah. And yeah, we were at like 10 months of a 12 month deployment and they sat us down and they were like, Hey, just so you know, we're going to be here we for a few extra months. months. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we, um, so, so we get guys back- don't get R and R either, do you? We did. No, we did. Uh, I got to go to Qatar for, uh, for little R and R and I got to come home, um, for R and R. I don't think I got R and R on the first deployment cause we had come from a rear detachment. So we were short. Mm-hmm. I don't think I came home for that one. Um, but I do think that when I did get to go to Qatar, um, yeah. which was cool, uh, by the way, uh, shout out to Qatar, um, shout out to Abdul, my friend from Qatar. Um, anyway, uh, so we get home and now again, I never really had a day in and day out garrison experience um, in, in the military. I never was just stationed at a duty station, you know, living a garrison lifestyle that just didn't happen really for me. So when we got home uh, it was basically time for me to start ETSing. It was basically time, time for me to start getting ready to leave the army. Um, and, uh, and so I was, you know, and you know how that goes. I was in all the medical yeah. appointments. I was in all the dental appointments. I was, doing the mind of the, the PTSD type, you know, men, uh, yeah, meetings yeah. and stuff, uh, and the job, the career training and the resume building. And this is a time I didn't have a, a laptop at that time. This was, you know, 2007, late 2007. And so I'm using a Blackberry with the little pearl in the middle. I'm using a Blackberry <laughs> to draft my resume and like change the document and get everything ready. Um, and I worked so hard uh, just using that, I was, I was definitely an early adopter to like the internet stuff, um, even in the nineties. Um, and, uh, so by the time I got back from the army and my feet touched the ground, I was actually, I was on the phone in the plane with the guy who ultimately hired me to be his fiber optic technician at, at a, at a job. And I had already gotten a place to stay in Chicago. Um, apartment. And so it was really important to me that I had that squared away. I had some money in the bank, which was nice. Um, And so I got a job as a fiber optic technician at a really big pharmaceutical company outside of Chicago. Great job. It was probably, it would have been a slow death. It was the laziest job in the world. It was just, I was a locator and I just assisted the other fiber optic guys. So I was the guy on the side of the road, you know, spray painting where the lines were and everything. Mm -hmm. And I had my own truck. I had a really nice uh, you know, Ford F-150 truck. And I would just listen to audiobooks and drive around. And, uh, and just, it was, it, it was great, you know, coming off of that big deployment, yeah. but it was also just something that would have, it would have been a slow death, I think, if I would have stuck mm. with it. Um, and so I did that for about nine months until it was time to enlist in school. Uh, and I went to, I did two things at the same time. Uh, I joined uh, DePaul University uh, for a finance program to become um, a financial professional. And at the same time, we opened a small CrossFit gym in Chicago on the fourth floor of a dusty, like timber loft warehouse. Um, and so uh, I'll talk about the gym first. Um, so this in Chicago, you know, you're paying a dollar a square foot per month, let's say for a place. So we got a 7,000 square foot space. Um, and I negotiated because it was mostly an empty building. And so we went to the very top floor past all the other empty spaces. And we were like, we'll give you a thousand dollars a month for this space. And so we got, we basically one seventh the cost. We got mm-hmm. a 7,000 square foot, uh, space for our gym and we paid $1,000 a month for it. And then we carved out 1800 square feet and we sublet that to a teacher who was an artist who wanted to have an art studio. And we charged her $550 a month. 
So for $450 a month, we had this just, just blank canvas, you know, uh, 5,500 square feet, beautiful, big, you know, high ceilings, timber loft building. And so on half of that, we built an indoor rock wall out of plywood. Uh, and on the other half of that, we built a CrossFit gym, a, you know, functional fitness gym. Mm. Um, and we just started and we made all of the mistakes you can possibly make. Uh, and we, uh, you know, we had so much fun. Um, and, uh, we, we really started to build a tribe of people. There's some people now that, and I sold this business two years ago, but there are people now that are still members that were in that gym in the very beginning, which is just such an honor to me mm -hmm. to, to say that that was 12 and a half years ago. Um, wow. and at the same time I enlisted in DePaul university to, to go to school. I had already been through, um, two years of community college and then a year of regular college. But um, at the end of the day, there was a bunch, you know how it goes. There's a bunch of prerequisites and everything you have to do. So I think I spent three years in, um, in college at DePaul and I ended up going into a small group cohort of their honors program. And so you had to interview and you had to have a certain GPA. And then we basically, it was like a group of 30 of us. I'm still close with several of those guys. We, we still have a, a stay in touch um, and we would go to all of our classes together basically. Um, and so that was a, a really good program. It was in downtown Chicago. Um, and I just learned so much. And uh, like I said, it's so funny, the difference between school, school before the military and school yeah. after the military school after the military at this time, I'm, you know, 25, 26, and it's just easy to be a straight A student when you come out of the military <laughs> because all you, so wait a second, you're telling me that all I have to do is listen to you talk. And then you tell me what pages to read. And then you ask me a test that just makes sure I read those pages. Okay. Yeah, I'll do that. And like, <laughs> so it's, it's like super easy to, uh, to do that. Um, and uh, so at the time I'm living with two guys from the military uh, and we're bouncing at a couple of bars, doing kind of the doorman job at a couple of bars, and just enjoying our our mid twenties in the in the big city, and um, mm -hmm. and enjoying the city of Chicago, uh, and um, yeah, definitely definitely enjoyed that time of my life as well. So moving on, then mm -hmm. um, bring us a bit more up to date. What are you up to nowadays? Sure. Um, so coming out of school. I got a really great job at one of the biggest banks in the world as a commercial banking analyst. And so basically that means I'm working with businesses that are $10 million to $150 million uh, and helping them with banking. And meanwhile, Tim, I'm working on $50 million deals. I'm working on $10 million deals. I'm working on $30 million deals. And all I care about is my little CrossFit gym. That's all I can think about all day long. I'm up in a high rise, you know, working on these big deals. And all I can think about is modeling my little gym and how we can build this tribe bigger and bigger. And so, and that plus, uh, I'll never forget sitting in a, in a board meeting with me. It was my boss, my boss's boss, my boss's boss's boss, and then another guy, and then an entrepreneur. And the two things I learned in that meeting were number one, I could really only see eye to eye with the entrepreneur. He was here with a dream that he wanted to do this thing. He wanted to build a, you know, a new warehouse or a, a new manufacturing line or whatever it was. And everybody in the room other than him was basically trying to tell him that he shouldn't or he couldn't. And I could only really identify with him. And the second thing I learned in that meeting, and maybe more importantly, was I looked at the guy who was the furthest over there, the, the biggest person from our business. And it was very unlikely that even if I did everything right, it was very unlikely I would ever get into his position. He was very successful, right? But I knew where he lived and I knew what time he got to work and I knew what time he left. He lived further than me, which meant he drove in longer. He worked harder than me, longer than me. He left after me and had to drive home further again. I don't care how much money he makes. I don't want that life. I knew that very clearly at that time. And so that was just sort of the two things that really pushed me to ultimately become uh, a full-time entrepreneur. So I was very fortunate that I had met a, a mentor who was a very successful entrepreneur as one of my members at my gym. He was, he had a second house in Chicago and he also had another house in New York, but he's from Detroit. Um, and he would come there 
And he would come to our gym and then he would just disappear for a while. And then he would come to our gym and he would just disappear for a while. And he never complained about paying membership all the time. And so I was like, I don't know, this guy's a strange guy. And so I become friends with him and I realized that he has this big, you know, very successful manufacturing business in Detroit. Um, and as I was getting ready to leave banking, he offered to bring me on board and let me to build basically a business within a bit business around fitness within his business. And so it was great. It was a great opportunity. It was the, it was the, the, it was the incubator that I needed to, to, to be able to learn how to be an entrepreneur and also still have, you know, some sort of a salary, which was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm very grateful to him for that. Um, and he's always been a good friend and a good mentor to this day. Um, and so I spent about two years running the CrossFit gym and, and also energizing this kind of work from home, uh, business within a business position where I was sponsoring athletes and traveling to expos and shows and the CrossFit games and the Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, you know, expo in, in Columbus, mm -hmm. Ohio, which is fantastic by the way. Um, and uh, ultimately I decided at the end of the day, this is the the gym and and being an entrepreneur was going to, we're going to make it happen. And so I no longer worked for him. I bought out my two partners after some long deliberation. And I set my mind that we were going to create a capital B business out of this company. And we did. Um, we at the time had 93 clients um, and we we're struggling and we, we really had never answered it's we're seven years into this business and we had never really answered what I would consider like the foundational questions that every business has to answer, which is like, how do you go out and get clients? You know, how do you charge them in a way that's profitable? How do you keep them or even sell them into an upsell or something like that? And then how do we grow this business? How do we create, um, assets? How do we create more money in the business than we spend? And these are questions we just never even considered. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people, particularly in fitness, get into fitness because they're passionate about doing fitness. They're passionate about changing people's lives, but they don't realize what comes along with that. And so ultimately now kind of spoiler alert, that's what I help people to do. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we, um, so, so I, I, we're currently at 93 members. We're making $9,000 a month in revenue, which is not enough to make ends meet. We're barely able to make rent. There's several times where I'm putting money back into the business and I don't know, I still cannot understand why I decided to do this, but I spent $12,000 on a business coaching program when I didn't have $12,000 to spend. I just didn't. And um, I don't know exactly why I did, but he, he made me a deal. Uh, his name's Alex Hormozzi. He's very famous now, this guy, but this is, I met him when he was very, very new. He, I was like his 10th client or something, seventh client maybe. Um, and he said, if you pay me a thousand dollars a week for 10 weeks, we'll call it even. And so my goal was to sell enough that I could pay him off $1,000 a week. And we blew that out of the water. I think it paid him off in like eight weeks. Uh, and so he, he, the stuff that I learned from him in this program and my, really my energy and willingness to say, all right, this is it. We're burning the boats. There's a flag right in front of me that says, burn the ships. We're burning the ships. There's nowhere else to go, but up. And so when I really committed to that incredibly fast, instead of a drowning man, wasting all of his energy and going nowhere, I started to learn how to swim. And I started to learn how to put my time and my effort into those things that would allow me to impact more people that allow me to collect enough money to make this thing a business, but also to help people more and to start to identify people that I could bring on to the team that could help people more and, and that would, would energize these things. Um, and like I said earlier, a lot of those folks, both coaches and clients, some of those folks are still there today as that business is still running under new ownership. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so that was, that was what we did. Um, I, we grew the business from 93 members to, you know, there's probably a time where we had 500 people in the room within a very short amount of time, probably 18 months. Um, we were bringing on 72 clients a month at one point, uh, where we were just, uh, but that took so much preparation but once we did, it took me seven years to get to 200 members and it took me six months to get to 300 members. And I just, I love that thing. That's so much because it just showed that it wasn't, I didn't need to learn how to have 300 different conversations. I just needed to really understand the one conversation that people really wanted to have. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. 
And so, you know, we, we ran that, we were doing a ton of social events. You know, we, I, I married my, my beautiful wife, Donna, I, I met her in uh, 2014 or 15 and, and we got married in, in 2018 on new year's Eve. Um, and uh, we, we were doing a bunch of social events. We were going on trips with our team. It was wonderful. And then 2020 hit and, uh, and threw the, the turnip card over. Well, well to an end. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so I, I think we did a can great we, job with that. Yeah, go can ahead. We Jim. just pause for a minute. Yep. I need to take a quick Jimmy. Oh, of course. All right. Where were we? So you're just saying how how you you progressed the, the business and you got married in yeah. 2014. Uh, we got married in 2018, um, and in 2020, uh, obviously gyms all over the world were shut down, and so we were shut down. Yeah. Uh, and so we very quick at the time in uh, so so I was a uh, um, I was the the gentleman that I worked with that helped me to grow my business, we did well enough that he asked us to join his coaching team and help others to do the same. Uh, and so I was doing those two things at the same time. I was running the gym, uh, but had replaced myself mostly in the day-to-day -day operation by then. Uh, and so I started to have phone calls on zoom just like this. So in 2018, I was using zoom every single day, which was really great when 2020 came around. Uh, but I was coaching other gym owners on how to implement systems, on how to build their businesses, on how to market and sell uh, and structure their businesses. Um, and so in 2020, it was a very easy transition um, to use Zoom a lot to have meetings like this. Um, I had started a small business uh, with another friend um, that was centered around helping gym owners and doing essentially what I do now, uh, but only for gyms. And so you know, we had, you know, we worked with probably 150 gyms throughout 2020 and 2021, um, helping them sort of build systems and scale their businesses and, 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 uh, and really see their way through COVID, which I think we helped almost all of them. I don't think many of them mm -hmm. had to close down. And I think a lot of gyms did close down, um, but not ours. Um, so, so, so what was the, the, the key for that then? Because Gym, gyms that had to, weren't allowed to operate. Mm -hmm. So did, did they do classes online and stuff like that for people? Yeah. So here's what I can tell you what we did. Yeah. I, I can tell you what we did. Um, for starters, our gym, I remember telling my wife Donna once that our tribe, the, the only limiting factor for getting bigger was that you had to actually do CrossFit because we did all these social events and we had this really connected, it was almost like a church congregation, you know, it was very connected, tight group. People would help each other move when they were moving. People would, we'd, we would go to baseball games and we would have parties and we would go do events and camping trips. And so uh, when COVID came, we really thought, well, what is, what is our value? Well, we, we have this equipment, rowers and kettlebells and dumbbells and all these things. We lent all of that out. We had a day where we signed it all out to all of our clients. They took it to their homes and they could return it and exchange it like a library. Um, so that satisfied that we did a zoom workout every single day where not only you could sign in from your living room and do the workout, but we had a big screen TV where we could see all of you. And so the, the coach would, would be able to coach you and he could see the 20 or so people on there. Um, but the thing that I think yeah. that really and, and grip the ones that weren't doing, putting the effort in, <laughs> what's that? And grip the ones that weren't putting the effort in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, we, uh, the thing we did though, that I think really carried on the torch of what our tribe was, is we did a ton of social stuff. So every single morning, seven days a week, we were doing coffee with me and my wife, Donna, uh, where people could get on and just shoot the breeze and have social engagement. Remember in the city of Chicago, a lot of our clients are young, single men and women in their young twenties that have no, that are stuck in an apartment for months. They, they didn't, maybe they didn't mm. even go to the grocery store. Some of these folks didn't even go to the grocery store, especially the ones that were really concerned about the illness, right. That had preexisting conditions or whatever. Um, and so we honored that and, and we gave them an outlet. We gave them some place to feel normal and engage with people. We also were doing trivia nights every single week. Uh, like you were talking about, yeah. we were doing, um, we were doing live table reads of like sitcoms and shows. So we would do a, an episode of the office and we would cast it and everybody would have a week to prepare. And then we would all come in and do our best Michael Scott impersonations. And uh, that was super fun. I'll have to post those again someday. Um, yeah. So we made it through that, uh, that way. 
Um, and then my wife and I took a trip to the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee uh, during that time. And we spent almost a month there. And I just remember thinking, both of us, I don't think I need to live in the city anymore. We had been in the city for almost, you know, 15 years, 12, 15 years. Um, and we just, you know, we had two beautiful Australian shepherd dogs that we loved to get out into the, into the wilderness. And her and I just had done it. We had been to all the restaurants and I've tried the sushi and I've been to the bars and I've seen the plays um, and traveled the world, frankly. Um, and I, I just felt like at this time was a good time for us to move out of the city. And so we moved. Um, still close to the city within an hour, but we live in the Indiana Dunes National Park just outside of uh, Gary, Indiana, actually. So we're about an hour from Chicago uh, and I live in a beach town. I live about 200 yards off of uh, the Lake Michigan Beach in the dunes in a national park. And so we live in just this beautiful place now uh, where my my wife and I and my dogs and our our beautiful daughter, Lucy, uh, get to enjoy nature and we get to see the skyline and we can go into town whenever we want. Mm. Yeah. Terrific. So that's what, that's where you are now. Yeah. So I sold, um, I sold my gym when we moved, uh, I still own a piece of it, but I sold most of it to my, my, uh, my, the guy who was currently the GM, Andrew, he's doing a terrific job running that tribe. Um, and then the business that was coaching other entrepreneurs, uh, I sold that to my partner in, in 2021. Uh, and he has also carried it on very well. I just identified that I didn't want to work with entrepreneurs that were only in fitness. Um, and so I took a year retirement from November of 2021 to November of 2022. I had no employees. I had no clients. I didn't collect any money. I had sold two businesses in two years and I wanted to do a few things. I wanted to see what I really wanted to do, number one. Uh, and so I spent time every single day, hours a day with my wife and my daughter, Lucy. Um, I did kickboxing and jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu, almost every single day, uh, four or five times a week. Um, and I was on phone calls, either recording my podcast, the Spear and Clover podcast, or just talking to other entrepreneurs and helping them and getting help myself um, and just thinking about things and, and trying to see where my real passion is for the things that I wanted to do. And so when it came time to launch another business in November, really it was probably August or September uh, that we started to plan this, I went into a, a float tank and I said, what would I want to sell? What would I beat my chest about? What was really important to me? And the things that came back were things like core values, mission, helping people to, to get higher and higher up the mountain, helping people to scale the, the magic between their ears out to a team so that they can actually be entrepreneurs instead of just self-employed. Right. Um, and so that's what we built. We built um, our spear and clover mastermind, which we now run. Um, and we built a, a program called dynasty defined uh, that helps businesses that have really worked hard to become dynasty organizations by building those foundations like core values, mission, and, and, um, and uh, how to set and achieve big goals, builds uh, frameworks to try and to, to teach your team how to do exactly what you do, exactly the way that you do it so that you don't have to do it anymore. Um, and then how to, how to monitor that when you do, how to understand the, the vital signs of your business and to know what your performance is going to be over a period of time. Um, and so that's what I do today. I, um, I have a podcast. I go on podcasts like yours regularly. Um, and I, I lead a, a tribe of, of visionary entrepreneurs who were going to climb the mountain, whether I was there or not. I'm just happy to help them, you know, have a better shot at making it to the top. Terrific. Yeah. So that's it then. We're, it sure is. Yeah, that's kind of up to date. Yeah, that's about it. I still do in jujitsu and um, just a jab slap. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit of that. So how would people, uh, entrepreneurs, want to get in touch with you and um, how would they go about that? And how would you be able to, to help yeah. them? Yeah, Are I would love global to. Or just, uh, yeah, uh, we're global. Side? I have uh, I have two clients from New Zealand um, so far, and then um, I have several people that I've worked with from other countries, including yours. Um, you can find me at spearandclover.com. Um, my platform of choice is Instagram. I'm Jason Skisick, as well as at spearandclover on that. Um, but the podcast is, is free and it's on, we have a YouTube channel as well as, uh, all audio places. So wherever you're listening to this or watching this, you can find spear and clover on there. Um, 
Yeah, we're available all over. Um, if you do want to test drive our our mastermind, we offer a free test drive of our mastermind, and you can find that at spearandclover.com. Terrific. Yeah. Thank you so much Ooh. for having me, Tim. This has been great. No, thank you for telling your story. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So thanks very much. All right, Tim. Thank you so much, brother. Have a great day. Thank you. The Tim Hill Podcasts, ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you.